We're going to continue the blessing tonight. And Mike, if you'll just come on. Okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this without a song. Can we sing a song? We got it. Ivy, can you help me? Help me, man. <laughs> How about uh, Emmanuel? Do you know that song? I was thinking about it. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, his name is called Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us, his name is called Emmanuel. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Alleluia. 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 Jesus. Just pray in the Holy Ghost with me tonight and we'll open this service up in the in the power of the Holy Ghost, okay? Praise the Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this night. Koti ganada gino mahoshiki mahashita bashita bashita bashita. Kone mahashina mahatikira bohoshinta. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your holy name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want everything you want for us tonight, God. I submit myself to you, Lord. Speak through me, Lord. Speak your word, Lord. And let it penetrate our hearts. And let us be changed by the power of God and the power of your word, Lord. Give you praise, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. I know God's got something for you. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to hit it. Is that okay? Is everybody ready? I'm going to hit it. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So, of course, I'm going to go back to Isaiah 40:31 again. And uh, we wait on the Lord. We renew our strength. We mount up with wings as eagles. We run and not be weary. We walk and not faint. I want to bring out something, though, on that scripture. Is the word wait is a word, kava. It's spelled Q-A-V-A-H. It has a notion with it of binding yourself or tying yourself to God. So it's not just, we're not just lingering, you know. We're not just loitering in the presence of God, which doesn't sound too bad. But we are 
we have a, an attitude about it. We want to go into the presence of God and tie ourselves to him, bind ourselves to him. Praise the Lord. Uh, let me just kind of rehearse a little, a few things we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. We saw where Moses uh, put himself in a position or a place of being an intercessor between the people and God. We saw where he was bold. He would go right up in the cloud. Remember that? He'd go right up in the cloud and he would meet with God. And then last week I talked more about Elijah. Uh, Elijah was a bold man also, but we saw some things about Elijah that, um, that made me think even more highly of him than just a man that called call fire from heaven. You know, everybody remembers that story. He called fire down from heaven by praying. But before that, what did he do? He waited by the brook. So he goes into King Ahab. He's got a word from God. And in the book of James, chapter 5, it tells us that uh, there's an effective, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and it avails much, and then it talks about who? Elijah. It says he was a man of, just like us, nature just like us. It said he prayed, and it stopped raining for three and a half years. So he goes to uh, King Ahab, and he says, it will not rain or there will be no dew fall except at my word. And then he just, he's gone. God told him to go by a brook. And he goes to a brook, a brook called Cherith. And later we find, and of course this is a three and a half year drought. So then he goes, you know, to this widow of Zarephath. And God took care of him in both cases. Like he brought him food via ravens. You know, had ravens bring him food by the, by the brook. He didn't go hungry, he didn't go thirsty, he didn't lack anything, but he had to have some patience, right? He had to have some patience. He's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's sitting by a brook for probably a long period of time, and he's watching this brook go down to a trickle, but he didn't, uh, what, I, what I respect about it, he didn't move until he had a word from God. He didn't make the next move, and then later on, he got a word from God, and God said, okay, it's time to go present yourself to King Ahab, and he meets Obadiah on the road, and Obadiah says, we have looked everywhere for you. For three and a half years, they've been looking for this man and couldn't find him. He actually wasn't that far away. And so that just tells us God's ability to provide for us and protect us and preserve us, even when there's persecution. And so I think we, maybe you can remember it this way. All of us need a little brook time once in a while. We need a little brook time. We need some downtime. We need some time when we're waiting on God, listening to the gentle trickle of water and realizing everything's going to be okay. No matter what's going on in your life, Everything's going to be okay because God is in control of this situation. Now, can you believe, you know God is good all the time. Is that right? He's good all the time. So, uh, Elijah prays for a drought and God answers prayer. A drought? Come on. A drought. A long drought. Okay. What is God trying to do? Now, here's what we're wanting to do in these classes or this study. 
we're wanting to start thinking more like God, okay? And less like on a human level. Less horizontal and a little more vertical, okay? We want to get a little elevation. We want to be able to go up the mountain, be in a cloud, and realize we're in a cloud. Don't forget where you are, where you're positioned. Seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we have a position to pray from in that, in that place. Uh, we're told that we can mount up with wings as eagles. Eagles are made to soar. They're not very good on the ground. They look a little clumsy on the ground. But they're made to fly. They're made to ride the, the winds. Okay? They're made to fly over the top of the storms. And, and we're made for that, too. We're made to go through things and go over things and go around things with God's help. So what we've been studying about and talking about is how to think different. So why would he pray for a drought? He must have had a word from God. He must have waited on God. Okay? And, and God sent a drought. Well, what was God trying to accomplish? God wanted to win the hearts and the souls of the people back. Ahab and Jezebel had made it a law in the land. You will worship Baal. They had to worship this idol. Otherwise, they would have come under, under intense persecution. Many of the prophets had been killed. And so Elijah realized that this is serious. He has to turn the nation. Somehow we have to turn back to God. And God was wanting to do that. And he caused this drought in order to get this confrontation on this Mount Carmel. And when he did, there was a confrontation that took place. And so this is one thing that Elijah said in 1 Kings 18, 21. He said, how long will you falter between two opinions? He's talking to all of Israel that's on this mountain. And he's talking about, you know, he's not really talking so much about the prophets of Baal because they decided who their God's going to be. But he's talking about the people. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered not a word. You know, silence in that situation is not good. That is not good. Uh, what that means probably is that they were probably in fear. Surely some of them wanted to serve the Lord and had a heart for God. But, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just being subjective here. I'm saying they must have been in fear. Because here's King Ahab. Here's 450 prophets of Baal. And he's asking them, whose side are you on anyway? And so, then you know the story. We, we went over it last week. He, he, he prayed and fire came down from heaven and the people fell on their faces. And they worshiped God. And there was a turnaround right there. There was a repentance there. There was a change. Instead of them not saying a word, they declared the Lord was God. And they worshiped God. So, what are we trying to do? We're trying to think like God so we can get the results. So that we can think beyond ourselves and our problems and, and reach others. Okay? So I came to this uh, story in Second uh, Kings uh, chapter 6. And actually, actually uh, Cheryl Paddington 
went through this uh, last Sunday morning, but since a lot of you probably weren't here last Sunday morning, I want to go through this because it's an excellent example of seeing into the spiritual realm versus seeing into the natural realm. So now we're talking about Elijah's predecessor, Elisha. So now we're talking about Elisha. And so in 2 Kings 6, verse 8, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. So the man of God, that's Elisha, right? So Elisha's tipping off the king as to what the Syrians are doing. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So it happened not just once or twice. It happened time and time again. And Elisha would pick up on what this person was doing and what the Syrians were going to do. And so the Syrians were totally frustrated in their military effort to attack the northern kingdom there in Samaria. Okay. So in verse 11, Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. He called his servants, and he said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he thought there was someone on the inside giving information out. And then in verse 12 it says, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Wow. So his bedroom is not bugged. They have no technology for this. And God is telling Elisha everything hidden, everything spoken in secret goes right to Elisha. And he warns the, the, the king. For what purpose? To protect the people of God. Supernatural protection, right? So then in verse 13, so he said, go and see where he is that I might send and get him. And uh, it's told to him, surely he's in Dothan. So he's in this little city of Dothan, just north of Samaria. Okay. So then the king's, uh, Syrian king sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. They had enough men to surround the city, the perimeter of the city. So that must have been a huge band of people, okay? Huge band of, of uh, people ready for battle. And they're all after one man. That's it, just one man. Then verse 15, Then the servant of the man of God rose early and went out. So you picture him. He gets up, he yawns, he goes outside, just like any other ordinary day, right? And he goes out. And uh, so, and when he, when he went outside, he, uh, he saw this great army surrounding, okay? Surrounding the city, and he saw horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what do we do? He had to be in great fear at this point. This servant had to be, he had to be paralyzed with fear. Because I don't know of any situation you could be in that would be much worse than this. 
imagine you're the servant of the man of God who is surrounded by an army and they want him. So they're more than likely going to get the servant too, right? So there's no way out. There's nothing they can do. The army surrounded the city. They're going to close in. And the servant is saying, what shall we do? So he goes to Elisha. Now, the amazing thing about Elisha, Elisha, so he answered, do not fear. So Elisha told him not to fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Wow. So how does he know that, huh? So then in verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he might see. And then the Lord opened his eyes and the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So intermingled, or you might say behind the Syrian army, are, are, are people there, apparently angels. Apparently angelic beings. And they are in what? Chariots. They're in chariots. And they've got fiery horses. And so now he sees into the spiritual realm. Isn't that an amazing story? How God could open our eyes and we could see into the spiritual realm. And yet, for what purpose? Well, we would have to have a reason. And we would have to know what to do with that information, right? And so, anyway, then in uh, verse 18. So the Syrians came down to Elisha, uh, came down to him. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So now the tables have turned. Now what about all those fiery chariots out there? What were they doing? What were they doing? Oh, they're just standing by in case he needed a little help. Right? Just in case he needed a little help. Just, he's covered. Elisha had wisdom from God enough to pray a prayer and say, Lord, strike him blind. Now we're talking about physical blindness. So we've gone from looking into the spirit realm through spiritual eyes. Now we're talking about the ability to actually make a person become physically blind in order to get, show you favor, in order to help you, in order to protect you in a situation where there's no way out. No matter what we've been through or what we've gone through in life, probably none of us have been in this kind of situation. I haven't. Hope I'm, hope I'm never in this situation. <laughs> I don't know if I could bring myself together. Would my emotions just run wild? Would I just be paralyzed with fear? Would I know what to say? Would I know what to do? I don't know, but I know this. God loves me. And he loves you. And he has always been on the side of his people. And he's always protected his people. And this is no... No different situation. So now the wisdom of God comes to Elisha. And he tells them. This is not the place you want to be. Let me take you where you need to be. So you know what he does. He leads them. I don't know if he held, took them by the hand or what. Can you imagine 
oh, probably hundreds or maybe even thousands of troops, and he's and and they're following him. Well, they're blind. What what you know? What are they going to do? They can't get back exactly. <laughs> I guess they thought if they do what he says to do, maybe they'll get their sight back. You know, so so it was when they came to Samaria that Elisha said. Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. The same prayer, only the opposite. God opened their eyes. And they saw, and there, they were inside Samaria. That's not what they had in mind. They didn't have in mind to be standing in front of the king's court with all of his army and guards around them and led into basically a trap, you know, and now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, uh, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Well, this is Old Testament, right? You know what happens usually in Old Testament. This is usually it, right? But what happened? Here's, here, here's some more wisdom. More wisdom came to Elisha. And when he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you had taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. Praise the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful story? I don't know if we can relate to that. I don't know if we can say, well, could that happen to me? Could I need to see sometime into the spiritual realm to see the spirit realm? To know if something is of God? Or is it of the enemy? And what do I do? How do I respond to that? But this is all the teaching that comes from this. And it's thoughts that would kind of help provoke us to, to say, Lord, I want to wait in your presence. I want to be an Elisha-type man or Elisha-type uh, Christian. And I want to be able to hear from you. And I want to be able to see spiritual things. Say So... Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, I went to uh, Guatemala in February, and I wanted to tell you a little something that happened there. We had uh, some uh, ministers' uh, conferences, pastors' conferences, and uh, Larry Marla Johnson set these up in advance before I got there. And one of them was in a little city called Alopa. Now, prior to this, the previous day, we'd been to Honduras, and that's where we um, we gave away one of our motorcycles for missionaries. So uh, I got to let's see, where is that one? Over here. Well, anyway, we have motorcycles for missionaries uh, uh, offering that we we do receive. And I can tell you, boy, this is, this is a big blessing. Let me tell you something about motorcycles for me. Now, I'm not a motorcycle guy, okay? But here's what I learned. When you go up into the mountains, if you try to take a four-wheel drive vehicle up and down the mountains so many times, something's going to go wrong, and it's going to have to be repaired because of the punishment that it takes going up and down, right? So if you give someone who has very little uh, you know, a four-wheel drive vehicle or something like that, it might be a little bit limited on what they can do. Now, that may not be the case all the time. But 
So by giving this man a, a motorcycle, it's easy to maintain. It doesn't use much gas. And he can really go just about anywhere in this thing. So, I mean, what a blessing. So then, uh, this is the last day I was there. We went to this little city called Alopa. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to speak at this, you know, at this, and we got about six to eight ministers from different parts of, the, of that area, okay? And you picture this, this is a little town with narrow streets and grades, you know, like where you would go up and, you know, sharp turns and everything is on some kind of mountain. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mountainous environment. And it's a, quite, it's a quaint little environment, you know, like there may be a motorcycle go down the street and it's rumbling between the buildings and then, and then nothing's going on and the store owners might, you know, stand out in front of their stores and and it's it's person it's a it's a kind of a close kind of a it has a personality to it you know and then uh there might be a uh, there was a man on a, a black stallion black horse and he's got the hat and everything and he is this horse is running down the street this is not a parade this is not a show they use these they use these animals okay so uh this is the setting. I'm trying to give you a little setting for this, okay? So here's this, this lady who has what's, what they call a restaurant, which kind of looks more like, kinda like her personal home with some tables, you know. But, uh, and uh, we were in this restaurant setting, and we had these pastors. And there was uh, a pastor, and I believe he's got his name right, Pastor Alandro, uh, Alejandro. Pastor Alejandro <clears throat> was there. And I'm, you know, I've, I've got, you know, Pastor Albert was teaching on uh, how to fight the good fight of faith. I don't know if you remember that subject, do you? And, and uh, a Kenneth E. Hagin book, and I ordered that book. And I've been through that, and I've made notes, and I'm ready, I'm ready to go, you know. And, and uh, here's Pastor Alejandro, and uh, he only has a left hand. He doesn't have a right hand because uh, there was a man with a machete that didn't agree with having a church on their mountain, in their village. And so he suffered persecution for that. So he lost his right hand because he was attacked by this man. And he's there at the table. And so how do you think I feel? Okay, I feel very humbled, right? I feel like uh, maybe he should be teaching me a few things because he's out there. He's out there where the, uh, where the people are, you know. And so, uh, what kind of challenges are there in the world? Well, there's a lot of challenges in the world, right? Okay. So, we've got what's going on right now. There's a crosswinds of end time events that's taken place and uh, there are two opposing forces and it's it's kind of like Elijah said how long will you falter between two you we're going to have to be the people that make our decision and we're going to have to decide we're going to live for God no matter what and here's this man sitting at the table and he stands up and he begins to talk and and you know he's got his bible out He's writing with his left hand, and I don't know. It's just, what do you, what do you say? 
What do you say? There are people that have given up things for the cause of Christ. But wait till they get to heaven. My goodness. And, and look, the man is still out there. And every place he goes, when he takes his arm out of his pocket, it's a living testimony to his commitment to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? One of the men said, uh, one of the pastors said, well, when we, when we built the church, was trying to establish the church, there are some people in the village that didn't like it, and they didn't want it there. Okay? Because, you know, village, these are, these are old villages that have been there for many, many years. They have their traditions. They have their ways, you know? And, uh, but then he said, but when we set up the feeding center, and they saw that we feed their children three times a week. Now they like us. So uh, I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're given to 100 Club and helping with the feeding centers, motorcycles for missionaries, all these things, this is a real blessing. And there's, there's just a whole team of our brothers and sisters someplace out there on these mountains that are going from place to place and ministering to people. Praise the Lord. So I just want to share that with you. Okay, now, I've been staying in the Old Testament probably too long, so let me kind of move on. Let's go to, I want to, in Luke 3.16, uh, John the Baptist, you don't have to turn to that one. I'm going to move on to, uh, I'm actually going to Luke 22, but I want to say this one thing about John the Baptist. He, uh, he came... And he says, uh, I indeed baptize you in water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, in the New Testament, something that Elijah didn't have. In the New Testament, something that Moses did not have. This is the Holy Ghost and fire. Okay. And so, what we go to now is Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, and here's Jesus and his disciples up on a mountain, Mount of Olives. We seem to be going from mountain to mountain. You notice that? Okay. So he's on the Mount of Olives, and says, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. As he was accustomed. Now let me pause right there. As he was accustomed. That means he went to that mountain all the time. And why do you think he went to that mountain? He went to that mountain to wait on his father. And he, so, he, he revealed to us in scripture that, that he did what he saw his father do. And he said what he heard his father say. He had spiritual sight. And he could see far beyond just the natural events that were taking place. So it says, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, uh, and his disciples also followed him. And when they came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So there's another reason to wait on God and pray, to be able to defeat temptation. And then verse 41 says, and when he was withdrawn 
from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he arose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. He, I, I have really struggled with this one about him sweating great drops of blood. Because I don't know what kind of stress a person would have to be in for their body to do that. Okay? But surely, it says he was being in agony and he prayed more earnestly. He must have had revelation of exactly what kind of pain level and stress he was going to go through on the cross. He must have been walking through the steps of what he was getting ready to physically go through for you and I, for our redemption. Okay. And he prayed, Lord, if it's your will, can you take this cup from me? In another passage, it says, is there another way? Can you, if there be another way? And he asked that question to, the, to his father, and the father didn't answer. The answer was, go ahead as planned. Go ahead as planned. So, Jesus had a reason to, uh, he must have had a very, very good reason to go through what he went through knowing what he was going to go through. It wasn't like, oh, he didn't realize. No, he knew. He knew what was going to happen, exactly what was going to happen to him. And now, remember, he had to do everything just right as he's going through this. If he cried out, you remember the people cried out in Moses' day. They cried out. They were oppressed by the Pharaoh. And, and God sent Moses. He delivered them. He took them out of there. Okay? If, if Jesus cries out, 12 legions of angels will show up just like that. Those fiery chariots and those horsemen surely were there they were probably on that mountain with him just in case just covering you know and uh, it says one angel appeared from heaven strengthening him so we know there was one but no doubt he had the power of God there available to him now, I want to go to Isaiah 53. And, and the reason I want to go back to Isaiah 53, and I'm going to start in verse 4. It describes what he did uh, about as good a description as anything I've seen in Scripture. So in Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs. And I want to say griefs. You can take that literally as sickness. Okay? And carried our sorrows. And that could be literal pain. 
Yet we did, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, someone, some looked at the cross and they said, God is punishing him. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgression, transgressions, literal rebellion or known sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, literal perversity, our twisted perverse nature. Okay. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Look at that. He even took care of the natural realm for us. Not just the future. Not just the soul and the spirit. But he was taking care of our bodies there. In verse 6. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, God the Father laid on him the sins and the sickness of the world. And there was, a, there was a period of time when he was on the cross when things started going rapidly wrong for the enemy, you might say. It got dark when it wasn't supposed to be dark. There were Old Testament saints breaking through graves, coming out of graves, and walking into town. There was a centurion who took part in the crucifixion, and he looked and he observed Christ and what he was going through and how his body was being contorted. And obviously, and he said, surely this is the Son of God. Even the centurion, the old hardened, you know, the old hardened one who really probably didn't know much as far as the truth and the gospel. So it was becoming more and more obvious. The veil of the temple is written too. He went into the lower parts of Sheol and he preached to those and he disarmed those powers down there and he made an open show of them. And uh, I think of, uh, you know, the prophet Jonah. <laughs> Because, uh, see, Jonah went into the belly of a whale, but there's a reason. You know, he was a disobedient. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And so here he is in this, obvious, I don't know what the environment was like in the belly of a whale, but it had to be dark, right? And he's, he's, he's at the bottom. He's at the lowest, he's virtually the lowest place on the earth a man can go. He's... He's at the bottom of the sea inside of a great fish. And, and uh, he prays a prayer. And uh, it goes to, uh, I want to just read one thing that Jonah said in uh, chapter 2, verse 7. It said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Praise the Lord. He got a prayer to go from virtually the lowest place on earth and possibly one of the worst predicaments a man has ever been in. And God delivered him. He had that great fish or that whale and go up and deposit him on shore. And then God comes to him a second time and said, now let's say, how about let's go to Nineveh? <laughs> To the Assyrians. And uh, so Jonah finally went. And then when he went and delivered the message God had for those people repented. 
there. And, and that's an example of how God sees the end. He, you know, he sees past the way we look at things. And when we come up with our own conclusions on how things ought to be, we have to somehow get spiritual insight. We have to get a word from God. We have to get wisdom. And we have to be careful of being rebellious and trying to go against God or coming up with our own plan. And don't do what Jonah did, right? Okay? But here was Jesus. Now, Jonah almost went into the earth. I mean, he did. Uh, you might say saved by the whale, right? So, but Jesus went into Sheol, and he went to the lower parts. And that hell could not hold him because he was sinless. He had the sin placed on him. He bore the sin, but he himself was perfect and had no sin. And so he came out of that grave, and the Father God lifted him out. He comes back in his body, and he's on the earth for about 40 days. And he does all kinds of miracles. He walks on water. He eats. He walks through walls. He, you know, he ministers to people. And then he goes, uh, he goes to this mountain again. He's back on the mountain of Olives, right? And he's, he says, I have to go away. So let me see. Okay, now before this, in John sixteen seventeen, he said to his disciples, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will take a mine and declare it to you. Okay, in Acts 1-2, it says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria <clears throat> and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So here was the promise that was being uh, extended to people. In uh, Luke 24, in verse 49, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power on high. Tarry, that's, that's kind of like a word for wait, isn't it? So, so Jesus was getting ready to, to ascend, and these are like, some of these are, are like his last words. His last words. Go tarry. Go wait. I send the promise. If He said, if I don't go, the promise won't come. And so he sent the promise. You know the story in the Acts uh, chapter 2. There was <clears throat> sound of a mighty rushing wind. There were cloven tongues of fire came over those people on the day of Pentecost. They'd been there for about 10 days. And so they received the power of the Holy Ghost and this infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so then they began to witness and the church begins to grow. And, and as a result, here we are. You know, I mean, somebody told you, right? And so, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, 
that I want to bring out here is that we have such an opportunity here. I know we're in the last days, and I know there's a lot of trials and a lot of difficulties, but look at the opportunity that lies in front of us. We have the opportunity to allow the Holy Ghost to do anything he wants to do in our lives. We being the temple of the Holy Ghost, have the Holy Ghost inside of us. We can <clears throat> allow the spirit of truth to tell us things to come. Isn't that right? Isn't that what he said? He said he'll tell us things to, to come. So we should be able to, even more than Moses, even more than Elijah, even more than Elisha, we should be able to know things in the spirit realm and have the advantage of knowing how to pray. It's, it says that, uh, that the, spirit, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know how to pray as we should, but he's there to help. So when we're in that waiting situation, we have more power available to us and more ability than Elijah or Elisha even had. We have new and better promises. It's the same Holy Spirit, though. Same Holy Ghost. And God works in the same pattern. In other words, he still wants to reach the world, and he wants to reach it through us. And he, he needs a people that are not broken down and not hurting and, and have a little money in the bank, and, but he wants our soul to prosper. He is, and that's the most important thing. He wants our souls to prosper. He doesn't want us to be uh, hooked on this system of buying and selling as the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Uh, he doesn't want us to be just so connected to the world that we can't hear his voice and do what he's asking us to do. So, this is a, a tremendous plan that God has come up with. And uh, I was trying to come up with why. Why would Jesus actually go through all the suffering and all the pain and everything he went through on the cross? Why would he do that? Knowing what, what was coming. And I found a, a, some scriptures here. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was it? The joy set before him. He saw something in the spirit realm besides just pain and agony and suffering. He saw something else. You know, when you listen to the news at night, you've got to just remind yourself there's something else. There is something else going on. They're probably not reporting all the news, okay? There's th God is doing some things. And uh, God is, is, uh, is a, I think God is about to shake the world. And I think that we will go through a lot of volatility and ups and downs and, and, and issues in financial realm and other realms. But if God can bring e Elisha out of a problem he was in, you know, if God can, can deliver us from virtually no matter what, <laughs> what do we have to fear? What, why can't we soar like the eagle? Why can't we do that? 
Why can't we do that mounting up with wings as eagles thing? Can we do that? Can, can we go into that, that cloud like Moses did? Can we, can we be that kind of people that see into the spiritual realm? And, and uh, we don't have to have some great prophet pray, oh, let him see. And he sees for a little while and then it goes away. You know, I want to see a lot, you know. But, it, it, you know, if I, if I go to God and I say, okay, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Uh, don't, don't, don't be surprised if he asks you, okay, Mike, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. I want this level of commitment, this level of, okay, I want this level of faith, I want this. You ask God for things and he'll give them to you. But he's expecting something from us too. Amen? You see that? And so I would hope that, that I could be the kind of man that, that Jesus didn't have to say, well, I have a lot of things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. You know, you just can't handle it right now because you're concerned about Starbucks or you're concerned about something. <laughs> you're concerned about eating and drinking. You're concerned about all the day-to-day. And so I'm just, I'm just believing that we as the body of Christ and members of the body of Christ can, can make a new commitment to wait on God. And we've we got to do this together. I mean, God is not going to do things for us if we don't cry out. If we don't call out. If we don't ask. You know, God knows our needs before we ask. But he's told us. He said, you know, in that day you'll ask me nothing. But you ask the Father in my name. And you'll have it. So he told us how to go to the Father. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to to mention this too in First Corinthians two six. Now, what in all of this uh, that we're teaching? What is the devil doing? And what is the all the powers that are in the in the dark side of things? What what are they doing? We seem to hear a lot about their activity on the news, right? Okay, but one thing I want to mention here is when Christ went to the cross and when he redeemed us, it says in verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. In other words, but it says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak wisdom of God in a mystery, a hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Isn't that something? If they knew what Jesus had planned and the Father had planned, they would not have crucified him. Because what they did released all of us with the power of the Holy Ghost and to do the same kind of things that Jesus and even more so he said and so right now I would think the enemy would be as we enter the last days and go through things that are happening today 
I would think he'd be a little bit nervous again. Because the people of God have received the power. We have the ability to, to connect with the Holy Ghost and let him really use us fully. Uh, I have a, a nephew that is... Uh, I have a nephew, and his name is uh, Michael McGuire. Okay? He is like two generations younger than I am. He's in his early 30s. And I just want to tell you a little bit about, about him, if that's okay. Uh, he's felt the call of God on his life. Now, a little bit of background about him. He, uh, he has, there's a total of five brothers there. He's one of them, so he's got four brothers. And he's the one living for the Lord right now, okay? And uh, his father uh, or, uh, was tragically killed when he was in his 30s. So Michael has been through a lot of difficult things from a very young age. Okay. But I got, when I went back to Missouri a few weeks ago, he came over about 9 o'clock at night, and we talked until about midnight. And he was explaining things that were going on. And so he is doing uh, something called feeding the homeless right now. Okay? So what he's done is church, the church that he goes to, uh, has a ministry of feeding homeless people. Or people that don't have jobs, they don't have cars, they don't, you know, they're out of the system, basically. They don't have insurance, they don't have anything, you know. So Michael remembers a time years ago when he was down and out, and he had no job, and he had nothing going for him, and now he's got a job, he's had promotions, he's doing well, and he has a heart for helping these people. So he's decided... He's looked at the number of homeless people in Joppa, Missouri, <clears throat> and he knows about how many there are. There's, it's just not a big town, so there's, I don't know, two, three hundred homeless people there, okay? If you count the churches, there's almost as num uh, the same number of churches as there are homeless people. I mean, the churches, if they all banded together, they could just solve the hunger problem right there, of course. But, <clears throat> so Michael, his approach is this. He goes out and he takes the food with a, with a group, and it's an organized, it's an organized uh, plan, okay? It's not just, oh, go out with food. But they have a plan on how to do it. But he doesn't preach to them. Well, you and I, that's not the way you do it, right? You got to preach to them before they get the food, right? Everybody knows that. There's something of wisdom here, you know? Because... He just takes the food to him, and he doesn't preach to him. And then later on, as he builds relationships, he leads them to the Lord. He's led several, several of these guys to the Lord. Now, not only that, I want to take this a step farther. You know there's a system, you know, where they go to shelters. They've got to be there by 5 o'clock and, and 6 o'clock in the morning. They have to leave, and, all, and I don't know all about it, but there's a system for this of how people stay at the shelters and everything. So he got with his boss and found out that his boss kind of liked his ministry, and his boss was a Christian. And the boss says, you know, we could use some help down here. Are there any of these guys that can work and would like a job? 
And so Michael came up with one of them. And so they hired this guy. So here's a guy that's homeless. Now he's got a job, full-time job. And so he's working, but they found out after a few days that he was sleeping at Walmarts and different places like that at night. And they said, well, what's going on? Well, if, you, if you're not back at the shelter by a certain time, you lose the bed, right? So now he's lost. The old system he was on is now changed. So now they provided him a temporary place to live. They set him up a bank account. They're doing counseling for him as to how to manage money. And I said, well, how, do, how does he get to work? He doesn't have a car. But, oh, we got a mountain bikes. So in Joppa, Missouri, there are these guys getting up in the morning, getting on mountain bikes, riding to work, making money, and putting it in the bank and saving it until they can get back on their feet. And isn't this an amazing story? I'm so proud of my nephew. But do I want to do this? Mm, probably, probably not. See, this is not for everybody. That's not what we're, I'm not telling you, okay, guys, let's all go out and feed homeless people. No. Uh, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues in and around this. You know, he's run into people with demonic things going on, and he's asking me, you know, you know anything about demons? And, you know, I mean, and I'm saying, uh, well, not, not a lot, <laughs> you know. So, but think of, think of how you could, if you, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, think of how you could expand your world, you know. Think of how you could, uh, God has something for you to do. Probably not that. It's probably not that. But God has something for us to do. And I just want us to, to think about a little bit how feeding hungry people is really a valuable thing in this day we live in. I think it's a real valuable thing. And I wanted to go through a couple of benefits to waiting on God, and then I'm going to close out here. Okay, one benefit of course, waiting on God enables us to think on things above, not on things on earth. It's a higher level of thinking. Okay? We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The waiting on God can help you find your place in the ministry of reconciliation. It may not be feeding hungry people, but there is a place for you in the ministry of reconciliation and bringing people to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given all of us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus has turned that ministry over to us. He took his position at the right hand of God in heaven gave us power and authority, the Holy Ghost, and he says, okay, now, I'm turning over ministry of reconciliation to you guys. And every one of us has this, except that we may not be fully aware of what God wants us to do tomorrow or the next day. And this is where waiting on God can really open those things up and allow God to speak to you about what your part is in that. 
Okay. So we need to put souls on the same priority as God has them on. And we need to be able to walk in love and not be offended. Because if you try to get out there and do something for the Lord, you know there's going to be some things happen to you, right? And, and we just have to be a people that walk in love and are not offended. Now, the second thing, this is the last thing I want to say. Waiting on God will help let the peace of God rule in your heart and mind. Did you notice that when Elisha was faced with the worst possible news, uh, there's an army out there surrounding your city and your house, and they want to kill you. They want, to get, they want you. Okay. Did you notice Elisha did, was not moved at all? He was not moved at all with fear. He had a peace inside of him that would pass understanding, right? And so I believe that he was a man who waited on God and uh, in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing. Isn't that amazing? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then, by no accident, the very next verse says... Here's how you need to think. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He even gave us a list. And stay in the place of peace. Stay on these things, on these good things, and you'll stay in peace. Okay? And always, you know, we enter, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. So we don't even get through the gate without thanksgiving, right? So we've got to be thankful. And we enter his presence with thanksgiving. And then in Philippians, it says, we let a request be made known. And it says, with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is always part of this. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We need to keep our emotions in check in these days and stay in the place of peace for you and your family. Praise the Lord. Well, that's what I have. With Elisha... I think about it, you know, with all those soldiers that came after one man. Okay, maybe his servant too. But all those soldiers came after one, possibly two men. And that still wasn't enough. If God be for us, who can be against us? I like that. I like that. So no matter what comes against you, hey, they're outnumbered. No matter how, how big the opposition looks, you know. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to remind you now, we're having um, National Day of Prayer tomorrow night. So we're all going to come to pray. Don't forget, bring your children. I think we do have a nursery. But let the children just be a part of praying with us. And then the men's fire Saturday morning, they're going to have their little campfire. And Sunday, something special. Let me see. I can't hardly remember what it is. (laughs) 
So we'll enjoy having a good Mother's Day together on Sunday. Would our prayer partners come and take your place? And if there's anyone here that would like prayer, do come on and and um, have them pray with you. And if not, you have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Okay? God bless you.